Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast with the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson. I'm your host, Jim Williams. And our guest on this edition of the podcast is Michael Kelly, the Chief Operating Officer for none other than the College Football Playoff Group. And Michael has the distinction of being the only person to have ever served as the lead local executive for three different Super Bowls, the Super Bowl in Tampa, a Super Bowl in Jacksonville, and of course, a Super Bowl in South Florida. Michael, welcome to the Sunshine Boys podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here on uh, the first week that the new uh, rankings have come out. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you guys. It means uh, first rankings means that uh, the stretch run to uh, Tampa Bay has begun, so we're very, very excited about how the season's coming along. Joe, Ira, would you uh, like to question Michael? Yeah, um, Michael, I've got a what will seem like a softball question for you, but you know, uh, Tampa has hosted many large-scale events over the years, as you know. You've been involved in some of them. Why? Is Raymond James Stadium a, a particularly good venue uh, for something like this? What What are the pluses that it has? Well, Raymond James has uh, it has a very f- flexible uh, workplace for with it to, to work with. It's got uh, lots of land around it, both to the north and the south, that creates some nice uh, not only parking but also some good uh, uh, kind of easy way to set up some good pregame festivities. Uh, it's it's so close to really the downtown area and the airport, which makes it just a neat uh, and convenient footprint for the visitors that come from from out of town. Uh, and then, you know, obviously even the improvements that have been made, it's it's uh, it's uh, going to be even better for the for the fans with the new sound system, the video boards, just a great game presentation that can kind of come out of it. As a van operator, and having been a part of it with the Super Bowl and having worked at USF, and then even with the ACC later on with the championship games, I, I love the functionality. Of, of the building, I think it's easy for fans to navigate the way around it. It's a very, in essence, a very simple design, but one that uh, I think fans appreciate. Wide concourses. It was kind of the first of its kind when it was built to really plan ahead with that type of wide concourse. I think it makes it for a comfortable experience uh, for visitors. So all in all, I, I have a lot of affection for the for the building, and I'm glad to be working with the with the team at uh, Raymond James again for this this event coming up in January. Ira, questions for Mike. Yeah, Mike, talk a little bit about uh, the timetable uh, surrounding the event uh, beforehand. Um, what what uh, time the team, you know, when will the teams come in, Mike? When will the events uh, begin? Uh, because uh, certainly th- this is more than a one or two day event. Oh, absolutely. No, I think you'll start to feel the excitement in Tampa with the great work that uh, Rob Higgins and the Tampa Bay Sports Commission are already doing, building Excitement. So even as early as selection day, there in early December, when we know who the four teams are, you'll 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 feel and, and hear the excitement building in the Tampa Bay community. But the uh, in earnest, once uh, you know, I'll be coming straight from a semifinal game on December 31st into Tampa on January 1st with all of our staff there, along with the Tampa Bay Sports Commission. So we'll be on the ground really from Jan one on, and uh, really at the stadium as soon as the Bucks. I know the Bucks have their last regular season game. We'll monitor closely what they might have uh, possibilities in the postseason. The Outback Bowl is on on the second, and as soon as the Outback Bowl is concluded, we'll be working with the stadium to basically replace turf where necessary, putting some new temporary bleachers in, and then starting a pretty significant build out for ESPN's compound and and all the things that we'll do with our our championship tailgate event on the stadium footprint. Um, and then that, that'll be a really heavy workload on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of that week. Some activities start to begin on, on Thursday, quite frankly. Uh, we've got a, uh, the National Football Foundation has a, has a dinner down at the convention center on that Thursday night. Then on Friday, we open up 
our uh, playoff fan central event at the uh, convention center. So that's really when the public activities start. Our, our playoff fan central is basically an interactive uh, theme park for for college football, and it'll uh, just be a lot of uh, very family friendly. Just a just a fun way to uh, spend some time with with your family. That opens up on on Friday, like I. I mentioned, as does uh, what we call our Playoff Playlist Live, which is a music festival event that takes place uh, at Curtis Six and Waterfront Park. So both of the fan events in earnest get uh, get charged up Friday. It's probably even a better opportunity for the locals to get involved since a lot of the visitors, frankly, will come in on, on Saturday uh, and, and beyond. But uh, kind of a good way to get to get a sneak preview for the, for the locals there on, on Friday. From a team standpoint, the teams themselves come in on Friday night, uh, late Friday, get settled in their hotel, and then they have media day on Saturday uh, at their main media appearance. And we do that. We'll do that at Emily Arena. Uh, so all the media, all the credentialed media, which will be over a thousand at that event, uh, interviewing those those players, which will be great. But uh, we also invite the public to come in for free into Emily to sit in the stands, kind of observe the whole thing, and, and we even give them kind of a radio that they can dial in and listen into the to the different players and coaches on the on the podiums down there on the, on the floor. So it's kind of a unique way to kind of take in the experience <clears throat> there at Emily for the fans. And everyone that goes to media day will get a free ticket to playoff and central later that, that weekend. So it's a great value for, for local residents to uh, kind of get a feel for it. From a team standpoint, they, uh, like I said, media day Saturday, they kind of have their own closed practice Saturday afternoon. And uh, then it kind of just, uh, from their standpoint, they have a walkthrough on Sunday at the at the, at the stadium, and then they get ready for the game on Monday night. So that for a team, it's a very business trip orientation to just get ready for the biggest game of their lives. Uh, for the fans, it's kind of a nonstop uh, college football festival running from Friday night until uh, till very late Monday. So it's, a, it's just a great opportunity and a great uh, great focus of the college football world on on Tampa. Michael is the chief operating officer for this uh, type of event. What is it that you've learned over the last two? You know, I'm sure that each one you learn a little bit, of, you know, a little bit more and a little bit more. What are some of the things you learned last year that you think will help improve this time around? Yeah, the main thing we've been able to do is, is uh, you know, this, this organization got started up rather, rather quickly. By the time the president's of the universities and, and the commissioners were able to put the playoff system together and, and the year in which they wanted to start it, there wasn't a lot of time to get get going. So quite frankly, um, in, in organizing for the first year, I, I would I used kind of the saying that we were we were drinking water from a fire hose, getting so many things set up, uh, establishing a new brand, uh, you know, a new trophy, a uh, whole selection committee process, even determining where our sites were, you know, is it isn't is it time-consuming and, and very detailed process. So there was a lot of work to be done behind the scenes before you can get up and running and then determining what kind of events take place, how you should best uh, uh, organize how the teams and, and what their commitments will be and make it as great of experience for them. So we, we think we hit a lot of great marks because we were able to get a lot of input from from a, from a lot of key stakeholders and certainly the, the participants themselves from coaches and players and athletic directors, football ops directors and trying to say, okay, here's the new system. How can we do it the, the best that kind of works for everybody? And, and, again, I think we've hit pretty good marks. But in terms of what we've gotten better at, it's it's really just the, the planning. Now that now that we can map out basically four more years in advance as to where we're going, and we've now had, uh, you know, a little over two years to work with the Tampa community to, to get ready, it, it helps in every aspect. So we expect our, our, our events to be uh, better. We expect the uh, overall look of the city to be better. We think that uh, teams, will, we've learned a lot of what teams might want as we perfect their experience that much better. So it's just a little tweaks, I guess, but it just makes you feel a lot more comfortable when you can get a little more time to plan and and uh, maybe not uh, <clears throat> maybe not be shooting from the hip quite as much. So we, we feel really good about our, our planning and our project management processes now. Uh, Michael, um it, the times we live in, unfortunately, um, require an emphasis on security, and uh, particularly at, at large-scale events like this, you're obviously familiar with with all of how all that works. Um, we've seen the security ratcheted up exponentially over over the last several years. What's it going to be like uh, at this game? Well, putting a security plan in place. Yeah, really good question, Joe. It, it absolutely is a major part of that planning that I spoke of before, and 
and we're fortunate with uh, leadership that Tampa Police Department will, will has taken in this, working with our security consultants, with our whole staff, and then really similar to what you've done with Super Bowl, so many different uh, agencies on the state, local and federal level that are involved in, in, in planning and being getting them as informed as possible about all the different aspects of this event. So, um, you know, at this point, that, that'll always be... Uh, we're fine based on anything that could happen between now and then and, and what happens on a daily basis with uh, with that sort of thing. But they will, uh, you know, at this point, it, it won't be quite the same as uh, as Super Bowl per se, uh, but uh, there will be indeed uh, certainly much more enhanced than what we see at a normal uh, USF or Bucks game in terms of uh, uh, secure perimeters, processes that need to go through beforehand, different screening processes that are still uh, being fine-tuned. So, Definitely enhanced security will communicate with the public a lot in terms of making sure they they know what to expect when they get to the ballpark. But uh, I would say it'll be somewhere uh, from a fan perspective, it'll be somewhere in between a regular game and a and a Super Bowl. You know, I talk a little. Go ahead, I talk a little bit, uh, Jim, uh, about um, how the local business community, Mike, has been working uh, this out for a couple of years, um, and you hear some criticism of Bay Area. Uh, Corporate entities, Mike. We're not Chicago, L.A., New York. We Dallas. We know that. Um, but what's been the general response, Mike, towards these opportunities from from the business community here in uh, the Bay Area? Well, you know what, the, the the local community has responded just just great as they have in, in my past experience there, and, and and I think that's part of what makes the Tampa community uh, special and and. Uh, you know they 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 know what they they want. They're they're happy to figure out. Uh, obviously, they don't have the unending resources to do it all the time and every year. But uh, when they can gear up for big events like this, and I think the sports commission does a good job of of keeping things spaced out so that it's a you know reasonable uh, uh, load, but not only for the resources and, and, and things it puts on its staff and on public safety officers and things of that nature, but also on the the realistic resources of, of companies, because there is a significant amount of of uh, you know private investment that goes into this, and and they they've got bid commitments to meet, and and Rob and Carlos Alfonso and the various uh, leaders of this of the board for the Tampa Bay Sports Commission for this event have, uh, have done a great job. So people have stepped up, and that usually means somewhere they're stepping up between you know a hundred thousand and a million dollars to go into that that budget, and and. Uh, and I don't know all the details of it, but I know that they've hit their target, and that speaks volumes for uh, uh, for the Tampa Bay community in terms of stepping up to the plate as they have for the previous Super Bowls and uh, Final Fours and Frozen Fours and what and, and whatnot. So, I'm not surprised by it, but it does uh, for for a, for for a community that doesn't have that many large corporations, as you mentioned, Ira. It's uh, uh, it's, it's it's heartwarming to see, and it, it kind of just shows the leadership that that exists in the community to make things happen. Mike, you said earlier that um, you don't have a vote in how this all works, so we're not going to push you in that regard. But if you could, give us an idea of what goes on in that room uh, from a voting standpoint and how the process works, just, you know, as a as an outsider looking in. Yeah, and, you know, we've, we've done, uh, you know, part of that whole uh, – build-up process was putting the system in place, and it's been a lot of work over the last couple of years to try to educate the uh, public about it, and, and we've had a number of mock sessions with different media outlets and administrators and coaches and, 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 and all kinds of things to kind of make it happen, but really, you know, as a fan and even as an inside administrator, I, I couldn't be more pleased with, with this process, and, and now that I think back, it is as, as necessary as maybe polls from either media or coaches has been historically. I love the way that this group waits until uh, about week nine to get some more uh, real data, not necessarily be influenced about what people might think preseason-wise or what it might look like on paper, and it lets, lets it play out a couple months, with that, which I think is wise. And I think the process of <clears throat> of having uh, not just mailing in a ballot at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday after maybe only only uh, seeing some scores or results, uh, in the case of some coaches, sometimes if they're running their own game, they don't have a chance to evaluate film and and if a if a reporter is covering a game in person, they may not be able to see a lot of games. So so those those coaches and AP polls are sometimes challenging, I'm sure, to to even come up with with your your top 25. In this case, you've got folks that are that are watching the games live, 
going back and looking at film, coming up with their own 25, not just mailing it in, them having a chance to uh, deliberate and talk about it with the with with the other select committee selection committee members. And I, I think it's a healthy process. They uh, and and they don't just again they they do start off with a with the overall list, but then they kind of vote on it at, at either three or four teams at a time. And then they can get, then they go back and have a chance to reevaluate or even revote two or three uh, three or four teams at a time or even more if they if they choose to and and I just think by the time they get through a process in a given week uh, and have had a chance to to devote their uh, their minds and see where it ends up I think it just is a, a healthy discussion and probably a more focused uh, deliberation so all in all I, I like the process I like the way it compares small groups of teams at a time and ultimately comes up with uh, with what uh, in, in the minds of those people is the best uh, the best rankings that uh, they can they can come up with. For those who didn't have a chance to check the first rankings out, Alabama's number one, Clemson number two, Michigan number three, Texas A and M number four. In the five slot is Washington, Ohio State is six, Louisville is seven, Wisconsin is eight, Auburn is nine, Nebraska is ten, and it's terribly unfortunate that we couldn't get a name program in the top ten. Um, <laughs> That's yes. you could you could take any number of those of uh, ten teams and pick four of them and and not do badly in any way, shape, or form. Well, no doubt, and and part of our group's charge is obviously that their first charge is to ultimately pick the best four teams for the playoff. It's also to rank the top twenty-five teams, and then ultimately they help us place uh, place the bowl slots for the near six games that we're that we're responsible for. So there's a uh, a lot of responsibility there, uh, but uh, the fact that they don't have the selection committee, one of the big differences between while there are while there are similarities between this and the basketball selection committee, the major major difference is that this group is totally and exclusively focused on the rankings and selection process only. They have no involvement in our management and no involvement with the operation of the game itself. Whereas the NCAA basketball committee also runs the tournament, uh, so they that, that allows me and our staff and, and the Tampa community in this case, the bowls that we work with to kind of run the operation side, which is great. And, and these folks can totally and exclusively focus on, on, on who they think the best four teams are. And I think that served us well. And, and while uh, obviously a great part of what makes America great is people might have different opinions, but uh, ultimately these folks have dedicated a lot of time. They've talked about it. They've thought about it. And, uh, and uh, I feel very good about the process. Both uh, so I put a fan, fan lens on it, and certainly as a as a supportive uh, administrator for them is is a is one that I think is the right way to go. I, I will admit I was coming from even my past background at even the ACC and just being involved in college overall. I, I just didn't know if a select committee was the right way to go when when it was getting formatted. But I'm absolutely convinced it's the it's the best way to do it now that I've. Uh, helped uh, help get it organized, and now that I've seen how it how it rolls out, the the process and the dedication of, uh, of these people, I think is uh, is just, uh, just the best way to do it. Mike, I Michael, now I just I I just wondered, Michael, when do you finally exhale in relief <laughs> on this thing? Is it is it when the 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 second plane lifts off the the runway at Tampa International to take uh, the, the last team home, or when, when do you finally go like, whew, I made it? <laughs> That's a great question. The, um, you know, we, we stay on a pretty good pace. I'd say the only months we're maybe a little bit down is like mid June to mid July, a little bit nice time for us. But, uh, but from these first ranking meetings back, you know, October 31st, November 1st through, I'd say, uh, I'll stay in Tampa another day or two after uh, the team leaves. So I'd say it's about, about Tuesday, Wednesday night of that week, I finally uh, we we finally all exhale and we're certainly exhausted and, and happy about uh, how things have gone. But yeah, until uh, until those teams leave and after kind of our last uh, press conferences that there on that Tuesday morning, that's 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 kind of uh, I think you hit it right on the head. That, that's where we kind of exhale and you can kind of feel like you can sleep a normal night without uh, worrying about a checklist running through your head or who, who else you <laughs> might need to help help out with something. <laughs> all right, you had a question. Yeah, Mike. Uh, now, don't don't uh, don't jump the gun, Michael. Uh, I understand you're staying in Tampa to catch a couple of the Buck postseason games. So there, don't be there you so go. Quick to... <laughs> Mike, here's my question. Uh, 
Mike, with a game like the Outback Bowl, and, and Jimmy McVeigh does a great job, uh, but there's always a lot of chatter, Mike, going into the selection process. Hey, which teams travel better? And you know, Wisconsin and fans against South Carolina fans, and and who's going to come to Tampa? Uh, mm-hmm. Mike, is it is it true that for a game of of your magnitude, uh, that Monday night, that um, in terms of the teams that are selected uh, and advanced to that game, uh, for a game of that stature, does it really matter that much, uh, Mike, in terms of, uh, you know, the fans uh, uh, traveling? Because um, everybody, no matter what the school is, is going to want to be in Tampa. I think you're right, Ira. I mean, no question with so many so many bowl games now overall, um, it becomes a much bigger conversation for their selection committees or even their sometimes it's even more relationship that they have with their conferences that they're affiliated with in terms of how matchups might come together and and that's a, a very big discussion when it's when it's more of that season ending matchup and they're just trying to find the best thing for the teams and the and the community and the bowl to work to work out but but I really think while there might be some truth to that in in, in some of our non semifinal in the year six games but for the semifinals and for the championship game and I know there's been some you know evaluation of, of our ratings which has still been very very strong although a decline in year two from, from year one the, the the attendance at the games have been uh, you know beyond sellouts for for the semis and for the national championship game so I think the competitiveness and the importance of these games makes that somewhat of, of a non-issue and without question there can be different matchups and locations where the games are played that will impact maybe the secondary demand for that game or, or, or just how hard a ticket it is. But at least so far, and, and we're grateful and fortunate for it, that, that there has been no issue with the uh, with, with the semifinals or the championship game uh, selling out rather rather rapidly in terms of uh, even with the teams. We hold a lot of tickets for the teams themselves because we know those. We want to keep – a big part of that, Ira, is we want to keep the uh, – we think makes – one of the many things that makes college football great is just the passion and energy of those those fans. And and as much as I love the Super Bowl, you know, it's you both know it's been a big part of my uh, uh, my professional up, upbringing. Um, it's a great spectacle. It's you know a huge annual event, but the, there's no comparison between the energy and passion inside the building uh, in terms of the fans because we're able to bring uh, uh, make that many more tickets available to the actual. Uh, fan base as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe more, more corporate customers and things of that nature. So we're, we're excited about that. And, but to answer your question, we, we do think the semis and championship game are, are just a little bit different from, from other bowl matchups. And again, back to my comment earlier about the flex committee not having anything to do with the management of the event itself. I mean, they, they can, that's why they're there to truly just vote for the four teams. We're not, we're not worried about it. It's, if it's a small, smaller team that's going to be somewhere, I mean, that, that's not the point. The point is to get the four best teams in the playoff and let them play it out and see what becomes to Tampa a week and a half later. So we're, we, we feel good about that system, and, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll gladly, uh, gladly host anyone that, uh, that advances for the opportunity to be in Tampa. Michael, uh, you mentioned earlier um, about uh, some temporary bleachers that would, were going to be uh, erected at Raymond James. Um, mm-hmm. Is that going to increase the stadium capacity, or was that for something else? Yes, it will increase the uh, capacity. So we, it's normally around 65, as you know, and, and I think with what uh, what we asked, what was committed to in the bid, it'll up us to a little bit over 70, maybe right around 71,000. So that whole South Plaza will have the the same sort of seats that have been installed for the Super Bowl in the past, and then we won't put quite as many on the North Plaza as we have for Super Bowl, but we will. Uh, Put a couple sections to the uh, to the uh, west of the uh, pirate ships that will uh, uh, allow us to uh, to to you know bring more fans into the stadium for this game. Any truth to the point you're going to put gangplank seating? <laughs> no, but we do anticipate that uh, as some of the networks have used before, we we anticipate ESPN will. Uh, uh, utilize uh, some of it for not the plank per se, but it will utilize the ship for uh, uh, for some cool uh, segments and some sets and things of that nature for coverage related to the game. You've you've been uh, a lot of stadiums around the country. Um, is it fair to say that uh, the pirate ship at Raymond James Stadium is one of the most distinctive stadium features of any place uh, that you see out there? Yeah, it really is, and it's fun to have been there when it was open with you guys when it was open. And I remember us all being uh, 
you know, kind of mesmerized by it then, and, and now even almost 20 years later, it's still it's still really really cool. And uh, yeah, I think when people when we bring contractors or when I think these bands come if they haven't been before, I think it it's something that's just very unique, and you know you know where you are right away, and people like to like to see it. So I, I really applaud the uh, Glazers and others that made that decision back in the day. It made the made a uh, you know very very distinctive uh, feature to the stadium that I think people people find uh, you know enjoy and blends in with obviously their their team brand very well. Mike, Michael, what's how the does time the table, go uh, ahead, Mike? Right. What, what's the timetable, Mike, for uh, determining uh, future championship sites? How many have already been uh, determined, and uh, and when will the next uh, round of of, uh, of choices be? Sure. Um, well, right now we we are currently assigned through the 2020 game, so we're in Tampa this year and, and 17 for the 17 game, and then we go to uh, Atlanta to the new stadium they're building there, which is called Mercedes Benz Stadium, uh, which is another great one that's coming up. I'm very excited about about that one, about that facility. Uh, in 19, we go uh, out west to uh, Santa Clara uh, to Levi Stadium, and then in 2020 we go to the Superdome in New Orleans. So we, we we have been very focused on moving this championship around the country. As you all know, the BCS championship uh, rotated amongst four bowls and four cities, and they served us well and have always been great, great hosts. But this was an opportunity in this new playoff system to, to move it to other cities as well and to basically spread it around the country a little bit more. And, and so it's no, it's it's no, it's certainly by strategy that our first six national championships will be in six different states. Um, but when we look to the next six years of our current contract, um, I anticipate that um, in, in the first half of 2018, uh, we will uh, go through that process. So I think by June of 2018, we expect to uh, name probably at least the next three sites and maybe the next six sites. We just have to kind of see. It's We've learned another thing we've learned to your good question earlier. It's, you know, cities, uh, you know, there's big events, there's big conventions and, and to, to make sure we can get full access to convention centers and hotel blocks and sometimes even the stadium facility for as many days as we need it for construction. It takes, uh, um, you know, it's it's to our benefit and to the benefit of the community to try to get those uh, assigned as early as we possibly can. So, uh, you know, it'll be somewhere between three of the six to the three or six of the next games that we'll get assigned by 18. We'd love we'd love to get it out as far as we can for good planning. Michael, how can people get involved if they want to uh, help your organization out or help out the Tampa Sports Commission? Yeah, you know, Rob Higgins and their team has, have done just a great job helping us get ready for this. I know they're going to uh, be very, very proud of what they'll, they'll accomplish here in the next couple of months, but their, uh, their website is tampabay2017.com. Uh, they've got all kinds of information about the different events that people can enjoy and take part in, and then uh, another link into their um, to the uh, volunteer opportunities that exist that they need help with. So I would uh, I would encourage everyone to really work through them. That they serve in essence as our uh, local eyes and ears since we're only there about uh, every a couple of days every month. But uh, they're there all the time and obviously live there and and do do a great service for the community and for us. So uh, I would uh, encourage them to go to the either Tampa Bay Sports Commission website or that Tampa. TampaBay2017.com site that I mentioned before. And uh, how can we stay in touch with you on uh, on your website and on via Twitter? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for me, uh, me personally, my Twitter account is uh, at mkellycfp. Uh, but uh, for CFB, uh, you know, it's at CFB Playoff is our basic uh, social handles, and CollegeFootballPlayoff.com is our website. So I really would encourage people as they get ready for this event to, to go to collegefootballplayoff.com. It has uh, just a lot of good information about uh, how the selection process rolls, how our events roll. It just has a lot of great historical background and information. And as always, probably your best and quickest uh, access point for the rankings that come out over the next five weeks and all that sort of thing. So uh, I would definitely encourage you to keep keep an eye on collegefootballplayoff.com. Well. And thanks very much to Michael Kelly, who is the Chief Operating Officer of the College Football Playoff. And Michael, we we really appreciate you joining us today here on the Sunshine Boys Podcast. And any final questions, guys, before we let Michael move on? 
Well, Jim, having seen uh, Michael uh, work uh, some Super Bowls, um, I think uh, Tampa Bay is, is lucky uh, to have him involved because uh, he does great work, Jim. He, he's a class act, very organized, and uh, always has the interests of uh, the local community uh, in mind. So, uh, Mike, I uh, wish you the best of luck. Uh, I know that you're not going to need a lot of fortune because uh, of all the prep work that uh, you and your guys do. Well, I appreciate the well wishes and look forward to seeing uh, seeing you in, down the stretch run here in Tampa. But we appreciate your support of uh, getting getting information about the event out and, and your kind words. Yeah, and Michael, I would just leave you with this thought. Um, I know you'll be um, very frenzied on uh, uh, on the days and leading up to the game, and especially uh, at the game. But try to enjoy it a little bit, huh? It's a great event. Oh, well, I will. Thank you. Yeah, you know what? I, I have a chance to work with Bill uh, Hancock as our as our leader on this, and I remember, you know, I kind of got in essence a lot of my career got started in Tampa when I was there, even for the Final Four when when Bill was running that. And I I still remember even as a young administrator, he he he. Well, I would say he texted me, but obviously that didn't exist then. But I remember him emailing me and say, "Make sure you take time to uh, smell the roses." And I try to uh, remember that with all these events. It's an awesome event. It's going to be a great week in Tampa Bay. And, and I appreciate you uh, bringing attention to that. But yep, we all we're all work, we're all working hard, and everyone that's going to volunteer is going to work hard. But uh, it's going to be an awesome show, and we can't wait to, we can't wait for everyone to enjoy it. Michael Kelly, Chief Operating Officer of the Playoff, and uh, that's coming up in January, and it's not that far away, Michael. Coming quick, coming quick. I'm right. sure I'm sure he appreciates you reminding him of that, Jim. You know, the sooner it gets here, the sooner it'll be over. There, well, thank you guys. Have a great day. And you right, too, Michael. Michael. Thank we'll you see for you. joining us. Really yeah, appreciate bye-bye. it. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Michael Kelly, and he certainly gave us quite a bit of information there having to do with the upcoming playoff. And, guys, you know, as I said, if you look at Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, and Texas A&M, those, uh, they, at if if we were to stop right now, and we obviously aren't going to, um, that would be your your final four. But there's a lot of football to be left to be played. And Joe, you know, you're from the neck of the woods. I can't remember how long. I mean, I, has it been since Woody and and uh, and uh, Bo Schembechler was at Michigan? Has it been that long since? An Ohio State-Michigan game has held uh, a possible role in a national championship? No, uh, not at all. Um, if you remember back um, just a few years ago, um, both teams were undefeated heading into the final game. And Bo Schembechler, amazing, just by the uh, cosmic coincidence, died the day before kickoff in Columbus, oh and uh, the uh, the Buckeyes went on and, and beat Michigan uh, in that game, and thought that they had secured themselves uh, a national championship, and they were that was back in the days of the BCS, right. and uh, they went and played Urban Meyer's Florida Gators and got schooled, and. Um, you know, the, that was uh, they ran the, that was the game where um, Buckeyes ran the opening kickoff back for the touchdown, and you thought the route was on, and indeed the route was on because Florida just came back and demolished them. So, uh, to get back to your original question, no, it hadn't been that long ago that uh, that that the Ohio State Michigan game has played a role in the national title. Oh, but ironic, um, though, that- that it was Urban Meyer that would that would be absolutely. Um, you know, Jim Tressel was still the coach at Ohio oh, State. Yeah. Oh yeah, and um, you know he they, they called him the professor because right. he uh, he always sweater had vest. the sweater vest and uh, yeah. very uh, dapper attire. Right. And uh, and uh, just that was uh, looking back, the um, that game really was the one that kind of established the SEC in the nation's mind as a not just the best league but a vastly superior conference mm-hmm. um because 
people still had a lot of belief in, in Ohio State. And Ohio State was a, a fine team that year. But they didn't have the speed or just the athleticism uh, to hang with uh, the Gators that night. And uh, so, you know, um, we'll see how it goes this year because the both Ohio State and Michigan um, definitely do have the uh, – the, the the all the elements necessary uh, to compete for a national title, and Ohio State with Urban Meyer showed that just a couple of years ago when they beat uh, Alabama mm -hmm. uh, soundly uh, in the uh, semifinals in the in the first playoff. So in that saving fellow. Yeah, Jim, what, I don't what's think. Uh, <laughs> Jim, I don't, I don't think it would be a stretch. I don't want to speak for uh, for all three of us, but. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I think it would be a surprise if if uh, if the Crimson Tide didn't win another title uh, at this point, uh, further cementing Saban as the uh, you know the great coach of of his generation. Uh, Alabama, you know, I guess they had an early scare, guys, against Ole Miss, mm -hmm. like they yeah. usually do, with a struggle against uh, the Rebels, and, and since then they they've answered all the questions, guys. Uh, Joe, uh, do you see any? Uh, you see any major chinks in the armor of uh, of Alabama at this point? No, but um, you know, when they get into the playoffs, they are playing the real cream of the crop. And right. I will say this: the SEC, top to bottom, we you know we all genuflect at the uh, SEC altar, but um, the other conferences are catching up. Clemson pushed them to the limit last year and can do so again. Uh, either Ohio State or Michigan, either one, are capable of, of beating Alabama. Uh, if they played 10 times, it might be a 5-5 split. Uh, Alabama's still got to get by LSU uh, in Baton Rouge, and that's no easy task. Um, Washington is, is undefeated, and uh, while their, uh, their schedule has been um, criticized for their, their non-conference schedule. That's a team that is just steamrolling people. So let's uh, let's let's hold on before we anoint Saint Nick here. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's he's a great coach. He's going to go down uh, when he retires. It'll be the uh, the argument uh, who was who was greater, him or the Bear. Um, I know the old old line Alabama fans would would saying no one can top the pair, but Saban will have done, accomplished what he has done in an era of much greater parity than, than Bear Bryant did, and did so um, under much greater scrutiny than Bear Bryant ever faced. So, you know, let's, let's, let's keep all that in perspective too. One of the all-time greats, but uh, that doesn't mean nothing when they blow the whistle and they start, uh, start the game. Hey, Ira, if Alabama would were to win a championship, would that uh, put them in line to join the uh, NFC South? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, a lot of people, Jim, you'd be surprised. And it comes up every year. You know, people ask the question, let's say Alabama wins the national title, and people would ask the question, you know, could Alabama beat the Cleveland Browns? They always ask that kind of thing, and I think Henderson would agree with me. The answer is absolutely not. Emphatically absolutely not. Emphatically, <laughs> emphatically no. You know that that that's a that's a thirty-eight to ten uh, butt whipping uh, mm -hmm. for the brownies, um, and people have to understand, you know, that even average NFL players uh, would be elite college players. So mm -hmm. that that argument always comes up, Jim, every year. It'll come up again. Uh, and the Browns are always in the middle of it, right, Jeff? Right. They're always on oh. the other side of it. Poor Kendall, uh, we'll have to get him back. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the... Now, Jim, one thing I'm noticing about Clemson, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but uh, you know, Watson's a heck of a quarterback. He's going to be mm -hmm. a top five pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, that is not a championship defense, gentlemen. It's not, mm -hmm. um, as we saw again uh, last week. Um, and I can still uh, see Jimbo Fisher waving that finger, and uh, boy, 
to use that word gutless, Joe, that, that, that's a strong word. I, I think Fisher went over the line with, with, with the word gutless. Uh, I, I don't know how you, what you think about his tirade. Well, he's $20,000 lighter in the wallet. Uh, yeah, he, he, he can handle it. But, uh, no, he, you know, it was, yeah, that was, that was over the line. But, you know, it's an emotional game, and, and um, maybe he had a case. I'm just saying. Um, I, think, you yeah, know, I, think he, I think he tripped the guy, Jim. They might have called it the wrong way. Right. It wasn't a chop block, but he, but he tripped the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not sure Fisher had a case, Joe. Well, um, maybe, maybe not, but um, he was you know, sure he had a case. For, he's going to stand up for his guys, and and that's exactly right. He was sure he had a case. Right. So and it was wild. Anyway. It was it was a wild game, and it was a wild ending, and and uh, it it just uh, it was totally crazy, you know. But you know, you wouldn't expect any more from a Clemson FSU game than <laughs> than total crazy. That's become one of the great uh, heated rivalries uh, in the game these days. I I would argue, uh, and I don't think, uh, Ira, I don't think you will find uh, any quibble with this, that right now uh, that's a much more heated game than uh, FSU and your favorite school, Miami. Oh, boy. (laughs) <laughs> Why do you have to bring up the Hurricanes? Jim, did you tip them off on that? No, uh, no actually I didn't. Um... Uh, they have gone in the tank, James, absolutely in the tank. And, um, you know, look, he's building a good program there. But, yeah. but as Joe said about four weeks ago, they're not there yet, Kaufman. Take, take it easy on UM. And, and <laughs> as usual, Henderson was right, Jim. Well, you know, it's I saw the game against Notre Dame, and it was such a you know, such a shell of of the good old Miami Notre Dame games that that I remember between the Catholics and the criminals. Um, you were looking for Tim Brown out there. Uh, I was uh, looking Jim. for him. I was looking for Jimmy. I was looking for the whole group. I didn't see anybody. Uh, you know, none of none of the. None of the touchdowns and the wild dances that the old Miami Hurricanes used to do. Um, none of that's not even one fight in the tunnel. I was totally disappointed. <laughs> do I see, uh, Jim, do I see the Gators have uh, cracked the top 10 at this point? Uh, at least on one of the polls? Yeah, yeah, they, they have. I don't know how long that's going to last, but um, they play, what, they play LSU this week? Uh, no, they play at, at Arkansas. Um, oh, Arkansas, yeah. right. right. Yeah, Arkansas, they've got LSU, and, uh, and LSU later. And, and Florida State, Joe, all on the road. Can they? Is there any way they can sweep those games, Joe? No. Anyway? No. no. Okay. It would be hard. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this, for the Gators right now, and, and I, I think Jim McElwain's a good hire. I think he's, you know, he got them to the championship game in, in the SEC last year. Right. Um, may well be back there again this year, uh, certainly uh, within their grasp. But right now, these are not the Gators. And by that, I mean, yeah, they play outstanding defense. But the Gator DNA, if you will, is built around an offense that has thus far not introduced itself uh, in Gainesville. Del Rio may may well turn out to be a, an okay quarterback. I don't think he's going to be necessarily in the uh, upper uh, rankings of, around the country. The Gators are that we know and, and got used to here were, frankly, um, the they would love to have USF's offense right now. I'm just saying they would love to have that explosiveness. They don't have it. And, you know, you talk about when they have to go on the road uh, to play, you know, LS, you know, teams like LSU and Florida State, that's where they're going to lose because they can't, they're not going to hold those teams down and they can't score enough to keep up with them. So, you know, they've still got work to do in Gainesville. Um, I think uh, McElwain will get it done, but right now I'd say they're, they're a good team, but they are far from an elite team. You know, 
Go ahead, Jim. Uh, Joe, Joe makes a great point, Jim. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Certain schools, whether it's college or pro, uh, certain schools, certain teams um, have an identity, and mm-hmm. he's right. Uh, Florida's identity is, is Furrier, um, Tebow with, with Urban Meyer, um, yeah. and and you look at the local NFL team here, Jim in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The Bucks made their bones with an iconic defense. Right. They got two Hall of Famers uh, already uh, in, in the halls of Canton, and, and, and they might have a couple of more in, in a couple of years, all off that defense, um, and a, and a coach uh, who was known for defense. So, and, and the Bucks are trying to get back to that gym, and, and they're they're far from it. Just like the mm-hmm. Gators on the offensive side, not even close. And you know, certain that that's just the way it is, and maybe that's the way it is in Baltimore with the Ravens. Uh, they're they're known for stout defense sure. over the years, uh, as epitomized by Ray Lewis. So mm-hmm. teams teams have to get back to their identity. And 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 Joe's right; the the Gators are are not even close. I mean, Del Rio, in a way, reminds me a little bit of a Shane Matthews quarterback. Um, a little bit, little bit. Know, he, he doesn't but, have. But, go ahead. No, but but back then, Shane Matthews was surrounded by oh, yeah. weapons and. No and and defenses mm-hmm. uh, were not had not really caught on to how you you stopped you know the the fun and gun mm-hmm. and Spurrier was light years ahead of of other coaches he he I would argue more than any other coach in the modern era changed college football because now everybody's you know everybody's wide open pretty much and uh, but Florida does does not have that arsenal uh, to to take a guy who's a pretty good quarterback and turn him into a 35 or 40 point a game quarterback. It just doesn't, it's not there yet. Jim, I got a question for, uh, Jim, I got a question for uh, Mr. Henderson. Um, Okay. And, uh, and Mr. Williams. Um, We've all seen Dalvin cook. Um, Mm -hmm. We know what this kid can do, and and it's tough to project. Uh, right. And 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 these are this is a tall order. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to ask the question: um, Does Dalvin Cook have the potential to be as good a pro as Warwick Dunn, Joe? And that that's a tall order. Whew. Uh Well, yeah. The short answer to your question is yes, he does. Um, he has, uh, right now, he got off to a slow start this year, as we know, mm-hmm. then, uh, got turned around, uh, in week four when they played USF, he ran for 267 that day. Since then, uh, starting with that game, he has reeled off five games in a row over a hundred yards, put up a buck 69 last week against Clemson. He's got speed to, to burn. He's got size he's got instincts he's got everything uh and plus um even though they don't use him that much um he can catch the ball out of the backfield and so he is he's really a double threat back there so i think uh assuming that he comes out uh this year um uh, i think he's he's going to make some team very happy and uh you know, I know Buck fans would say, wow, we we would love to see him uh, reunited uh, here in, in Tampa Bay with Jameis Winston. Um, depending how the Buck season goes, they may not be able to get him because I think he's going to go pretty high. Would you draft him, Ira? No, no, I would not draft him if I was the Bucks. Uh, in terms of need, uh, uh-huh. no. But, um, you know, Warwick Dunn was a heck of a player, Jim. Heck of a yeah, player. no question about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say a notch below a, a Hall of Fame player. Not not mm-hmm. a Canton player, but just very, very good. Um, and Joe's right. He may be, uh, Cooks may be a little underutilized in the passing mm-hmm. game, but he certainly got the talent. Uh, mm-hmm. Boy, if I, if I thought this guy was going to be uh, as productive as Warwick Dunn, uh, mm-hmm. uh, almost any team in this league uh, w- should, should grab this kid. You know, Ira, uh, you got a good point. 
um, about the Bucks maybe on a need thing, although we don't know about Doug Martin. I know they just gave him the big uh, contract uh, in the offseason, but there now he's dinged up again. Um, the uh, career expectancy for running backs in the NFL is not uh, not very long. And uh, when you look at Dalvin Cook, I like guys who get in the end zone. And uh, he's got 11 touchdowns this year already. That's a lot. And, uh, you know, he plays well in the big games for, for them. You know, uh, you saw what he did last week against Clemson. And, um, you know, so yeah, your friend uh, and mine, uh, Rich McKay, I, I never forgot this. He, when he was with the Bucks, he said, you never draft on potential. You draft on production because – you know, you don't try to, to say, well, we, I know this guy hasn't played that well in college, but he's got the size and the speed, and we think he can do this. Uh, you go get people who you know can do something because you've watched them on film uh, accomplish it. Dalvin Cook um, sure fits that, uh, that criteria. So, and Jim, that, you know, Jim, that philosophy worked very well for the Bucks, uh yeah, starting in the mid-'90s. I, I was sorry to see Rich leave because I thought he was um, was a very good um, person for the Buccaneers. And when he left, it was um, I thought that was a bad move on their part. But hey, I don't run their um, operation, and they really didn't call me to ask. So, well, like Joe says, uh, Jim, like Joe said, the Glazers mm-hmm. had to make a call between mm-hmm. a head coach and a GM. Right. The head coach had just. Uh, hoisted the, the Vince Lombardi trophy up in the air. Uh, so, Joe, I guess it's in the end uh, for them, it wasn't much of a choice, but I'm not sure it was the right choice, Joe. Well, and, and Ira, you, you and I have talked about this, and I've written this in the past, and, but I will say it again. The, the one thing on that uh, that I will criticize the Glaciers for is when Gruden – you know, and he was filled with testosterone after winning the Super Bowl. And here he is a few weeks later out at uh, the owners' meetings. And you were there. What was it in Phoenix, Ira? It was in Phoenix. Yes. In Phoenix. And he's popping off, uh, you know, uh, in, a, in a bar, hanging out with, with reporters who were there. And, yeah, my GM this and my GM that. At that point, if I'm the Glaziers, uh, and there were signs of a, of a rift between Gruden and uh, and Rich McKay long before then. But I pull them both into a room, shut the door, and look them in the eye and say, look, fellas, we just won a Super Bowl. John, your job is to coach the players. Shut up. Rich, your job is to get the players. Uh, we We can win more Super Bowls, and we would like to do this. You're both very good at what you do. Figure out how to work together. Now get out of here, you knuckleheads, and get back to work. That's what they should have done. But instead, they chose a side. And Rich McKay left. Uh, Bruce Allen came in, and we know what's happened since then. You know that Wellington Mara did that with Parcells and George Young. And it worked out pretty well, didn't it? He walked in and he said, coach is coach. General managers, general managers, and owners own. He said, and that is it, because you know Parcells was talking about it. If you know the old saying, if if yeah. you buy the groceries, you should be able to cook the meal. Well, not in Wellington Mara's um, New York Giants franchise. Is that the way it works? So, anyway, Jim, are you surprised? Uh, Jim, are you surprised the uh, Baldinger's been suspended by uh, the NFL Network for suggesting uh, there should have been a bounty, there should be a bounty on Ezekiel Elliott, and you know, given this day and time uh, and this atmosphere, uh, Bolden just should have known better, uh, Jim. Yeah, you, I agree. you can't say those things. Yeah, you can't do it. And I mean, what did you think of, um, uh, you know, after the Carolina game when um, Cam Newton came out and said that he wasn't being treated in the same way as uh, other quarterbacks in the league? Well, uh, the facts don't support that, Joe. Um, people have looked at the films, and, uh, uh, you know, apparently uh, officials have not missed uh, too many uh, roughing calls on Cam Newton. Um, it's happened with other quarterbacks, too, Joe. So, you know, uh, 
his whole behavior, Joe, starting with that Super Bowl loss, it's it's left a lot to be desired, I think. Yeah, I mean, he was he was the man. He was on top of the world heading into the Super Bowl, and they got their fannies kicked. And part of it was because he didn't perform like a, a player of his stature is expected to perform. And rather than be a stand-up guy and say, all right, well, you know, back to the drawing board and we'll, we'll see you back here again next year. Uh, he's gone full diva on people and it's carried over to this year. They had a nice win last week. Maybe it puts him back on track. Uh, I don't know, but, uh, the odds are, are pretty long against them even making the playoffs this year. And you know what they remind me of, Ira? The Bucks, the year after they won the Super Bowl. And you remember, they finished 7-9 and nine that year. And all along, they just kept saying, ah, oh, you know, we'll get it. We'll get it turned around. We'll get it turned around. And I remember Keyshawn John, Johnson looking at me after uh, a loss uh, with maybe about five or six weeks ago in the season. Um, and I asked him, I said, are, are you really worried about making the playoffs at this point? And he gives me that, oh, Joe, okay, you want me to say it. All right, I guarantee we'll make the playoffs. There, are you happy? Uh, well, I got and a you quote. Know what? <laughs> you, you got Keyshawn down well. Um. And you, hey, Jim, <laughs> you know what? A week later, and, and Henderson will back me up on this, Literally a week later, Keyshawn Johnson was told not to come to the facility anymore. We don't That's want right. you around. At the end of that 03 season, um, when the Bucks Joe, they were technically still hanging around a little bit, maybe two games off off the wild card pace with, with five left. Um, they told Johnson, we'll pay you, but we don't want to see you. Am I right, Joseph? That's exactly right. And uh... – he, uh, you know, I, I will, I'll give Keyshawn credit. He was a tough guy. You know, he played uh, very well for the Bucks the most most of the time he was here. Probably wouldn't have won the Super Bowl without him. But um, what a what a way to be um, escorted out of town. Essentially, uh, mm-hmm. he and Gruden didn't see eye to eye almost even from the beginning. Uh, they managed to. I guess coexist enough to win a to win the Super Bowl, but then that was it because that was oil and water there, and 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 uh, so yeah, it was it was an extraordinary time with Keyshawn. Well, both of them now are in the broadcasting business, so yeah, <laughs> so as our most former Bucks, Jimmy. Most yeah, former Bucks. <laughs> quite, quite a few in that situation at this point in time. So anyway, look, guys, it's about time to wrap it up. So let's go with. Um, Mr. Kaufman, give us your social media and also your final take on on uh, today's show. And, uh, of course, Michael Kelly, who joined us. Uh, it's great to have Michael with us. Jim, you can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, at iKaufman76. And mm-hmm. speaking of uh, Mr. Kelly, the well-spoken Mr. Kelly, uh, I want to reiterate my remarks. Uh, Joe and I know him uh, from Tampa Super Bowls. Uh, other big events here. Um, he gets things done, Jim, in his understated manner, mm-hmm. uh, surrounds himself with good people and lets them do their jobs. It, it's a winning formula. Uh, I think uh, we're lucky to have him uh, handling this big event, Joe. I totally agree. And um, he he succeeds because he doesn't care who gets the credit. And... Uh, steady hand on the wheel and just inspires confidence in people. So uh, bravo on that one, Ira. He's also very, a guy, I assume in these types of roles, people like that are, it's a very thankless job. There's a lot of work that goes into it. A lot of, you know, as he said, a lot of nights where he'll be hitting that checkout list and wondering, okay, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And it, it takes a lot of work. And then, you know, seven, eight months of planning for six hours worth of uh, of, of an event. Hey, Jim, uh, Henderson did not give his contact information. Well, he's oh, going I did to not. soon. Yes, he is. Thank you, Ira, for picking that up. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J 
Henderson, Tampa, T-A-M-P-A. All right, folks. Well, thank you very much for joining this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Again, many thanks to Michael Kelly, the COO of the college playoff, which is coming to Tampa uh, in the not-too-distant future in January. So if you want to help out, uh, check out their website, and uh, we'll have that on the uh, on the podcast page so that you can uh, you can find it and you can uh, join them. So for the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, I'm Jim Williams, your host, and we'll catch you next time on this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.